better to dwell in the wilderness than with a contentious and an angry woman. <laughs> well, we are, we already hit that subject in verse number nine, didn't we? We already talked about that, but th- this verse is a little bit different. I want you to notice here the illustration is stronger than it was back in verse number nine. Uh, <laughs> well, I won't say that, but uh, there's a reason why why I, it, it's emphasized stronger, I think. And you remember earlier you talked about dwelling on the corner of the housetop, but now <laughs> it's in the wilderness. Uh, this is a place of desolation. It, it, it's kind of like he's saying, you know, if it doesn't get any better with you on the housetop, get out of Dodge. <laughs> just, just leave town, go out in the wilderness. And uh, better than staying there and arguing, he says. Well, you know, that just goes to show how how miserable it is when things are not right at home. I, I think I said... Uh, in the last message, you know, a person, and this goes for a man or a woman, you can endure almost anything out there in the workaday world. You know, out in the world, you, 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 you don't really expect a lot of kindness. You expect there to be conflict. That you know you're going to encounter difficulties. There are going to be problems there. And you can deal with all of that if, you know, if you, when you get home and you're there with your loving family, and uh, boy, you you can put up with a lot. But when things are not right at home, and this is true of the husband, the wife, mom, dad, or the kids, or whoever it is, when things are not right at home, uh, everybody is miserable, and uh, life becomes miserable. And uh, we, we need to remember that things in the home will never be right until things in the heart's right. That, that's where it always gets back to that. So many times, you know, we want to lecture on the home and, and, and all, you know, all of the different, all of the different principles and rules and so on and so forth and how to establish a good home life. And, you know, all of that is well and good, but if we don't fix the problem of the heart, None of that's going to matter whatsoever. And that's where the real problem is with the home. It's in the heart. And when the heart's right, the home will be right. And when the home is right, we can endure almost any kind of a hardship. And that's why the family institution is so very important because it is the bedrock foundation of society. And that's why Satan is so intent on trying to destroy it naturally and has many in our government you know uh, trying to uh, aid in that pursuit Uh, and it's so sad to see how things have changed so drastically for the worst over the last uh, half century verse 20 there is treasure to be desired in oil in the dwelling of the wise but a foolish man spendeth it up well, this verse has to do with wastefulness. And and obviously, instead of wisely conserving what he has in order to provide for his family, he's telling us the wise man just spends it up. And he, 
spends every penny that he's got. And uh, uh, I mean, right down to the last penny till the paycheck is gone. He doesn't try to save anything, doesn't put anything back for a rainy day. And uh, so it's kind of like, you know, if he's got it, he's going to spend it. Well, we live in a day and age. Back when I was a boy, Dad had a rule that if you don't have the money for it, you didn't buy it. I'll never forget the first time Dad discovered that Mom had put something on credit down at the little neighborhood market, you know, where everybody did back then except Dad. Well, I say that, and uh, most of the men was against it. But anyway, Dad had the rule, if you don't have the money, you don't buy it. We buy anything on credit. And uh, he about blowed a stack because she had put a few dollars on a, uh, on a ticket down at the grocery store. But then all of a sudden, things begin to change to where credit cards become available. I talked about this a few weeks ago. You know, the young couples get married. They want everything mom and dad's got, you know, and, and, and better. It took mom and dad 30, 40 years to get it, and they want it overnight. After all, they got married two weeks ago. You know, it's time that we got a 52-inch TV, time we got a, uh, a Tempur-Pedic mattress, time we got a new vehicle. And, man, and, and all of the lending institutions, of course, they're just like vultures on their doorstep offering them credit cards. They overload the credit cards. And, and, and you know, the strange thing is that we're talking about this Immediately after the verse there, it talks about contention in the home. All of the surveys, the experts, and so forth tell us that the number one cause of arguments, contention in the home, has to do with finances. I don't know whether that's true or not. I'm just telling you that's what they say. And I do know that is a bone of contention in a lot of families. You know, things can be going really well, and all of a sudden, you can't pay your bills. He can't get a new, uh, you know, bass boat this year. She can't get a new purse or a new pair of shoes because the money's tight. And then all of a sudden, why everybody is uh, arguing with one another. And uh, here he says that there's treasure to be desired in all in the dwelling of the wise. There's plenty there, you know, but a foolish man just spendeth it up. I've heard people literally quote Philippians 4.19 whenever they were in dire straits financially, and they'd say, you know, yeah, we're going through a really tough time, but boy, I cling to that promise, God shall supply all of your need according to his riches in glory. Let me tell you, that's not true of everybody. You you study that verse and you'll see that he's talking to a church there that was generous in their giving, a church that was supporting him, a church that cared about the work of God. And, and, and listen, God is not going to bankroll our foolish spending. If we do like the prodigal son and take what we've got and strike out for the far country and waste it all in riotous living, guess what? He ain't going to come there to your rescue while you're in the pig pen. You're going to be there and suffer and do without. And, and, and listen, God will let that happen until you turn to him. 
And there's so many times we get this idea that, well, it's going to be all right because God, you know, has promised that he's going to take care of me. And listen, the promise is Matthew 6, if we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, all of these things shall be added to us. But we can't leave God out of the picture and live to please self and then expect God to take care of us whenever we've got a financial problem. And so we need to be wise enough to realize that whatever it is that God gives us, we need to conserve the best that we possibly can. That doesn't mean that we become a miser and try to, you know, save every penny and, you know, not not spend money on enjoying anything. I, that, that's not the point at all. It's, it's just to use some good common sense about what we do with our money. Verse number 21, He that followeth after righteousness... What was the verse I just quoted? Huh? Matthew six thirty three. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and, and his righteousness. And he that followeth after righteousness, uh, our relationship with God ought to translate into a life of righteousness. And he that followeth after righteousness uh, uh, and, and, and findeth uh, uh, and mercy findeth life, righteousness, and honor. And this speaks, of course, about the gain of godly living. That'd be a good sermon title, wouldn't it? The gain of godly living. Or you could call it the helpfulness of holiness. Or the blessings of doing what you should. And uh, most people today think, you know, the, in, in their mind, their way of thinking, the way, to, the way to happiness is to be free to do as you please. Just, boy, man, if I could just... If I could just do whatever I wanted to do, I think it was, uh, if I'm not mistaken, it was John Newton who wrote that quite a long poem about the kite. Anybody ever read it? You know, the little kite was up there on the string, and boy, you know, it, it, it thought, man, if I get rid of that string and that jerk down there on the end of it, I, boy, I could just fly to, to, you know, wow, there wouldn't be any limits. I could just really... Uh, be free and uh, of course one day the string broke and what happened well the little kite crashed to the ground you, you, you know the fact of the matter is we need certain restraints upon us and holiness leads to happiness it's it's not being free to do as you please it's being free to do as you ought to do and notice he mentions two things here and he does so for a very good reason. He mentions righteousness and mercy. Whenever he talks about righteousness, that has to do with a righteousness before God. It has to do with our conduct before him, living, doing what is right in the sight of God. When he talks about mercy, that has to do with our horizontal relationship. That has to do with the manner in which we conduct ourselves with our fellow man. The point is we ought to be holy and we ought to be helpful. Our relationship with God, that vertical relationship, a relationship that leads to a life of righteousness ought to make us merciful to those that are around us. And that's the point that he's trying to make here. And then notice that he mentions that the gain of such godliness is threefold. He mentions, first of all, life. 
Well, maybe you're here and you're thinking, well, man, I've already got that. I don't need to worry about that. I don't see any gain there. Well, uh, maybe you do and maybe you don't. You know, there's a, a difference between existing and really, truly living. Uh, you know, the Bible says that Jesus came to give life and to give it, what, more abundant. That, so there's such a thing as just existing upon this earth, and then there's really living. And, and uh, you know, you can take this literally, of course, and speak about uh, your life being prolonged as a result of righteousness and mercy. Uh, but But we can take it in the sense that life is just going to be better uh, much better than it would be. We'll, you know, we'll have meaning and purpose in our life. And no, listen, nobody can really enjoy life as God intends for them to do if they don't have a sense of of mission in life. In other words, that purpose, that some reason that that they're here. And maybe you'll remember I, I've often mentioned the fact before I was saved and. Uh, just looking in the mirror and thinking to myself, surely there's more to life than just this. You know, just just the physical part of me that, that I see. I, I mean, I, I just knew there's something missing somewhere because absolutely nothing I did, and I did whatever I wanted to do, whatever I could afford to do, Whatever I was big enough to, I, I just did whatever I wanted to do. I didn't have any rules. I didn't, you know, I didn't make any difference who got hurt or offended or anything else. That was just the, the way I lived. And, and yet I was doing everything I wanted to do, and I was absolutely miserable. And so I drank myself into a stupor, and I'd think, okay, you know, that'll, well, that, that'll help. Well, it didn't help. And the next morning I just realized now i got a bunch of problems I didn't have the night before. And we'll never really know what real living is all about until we discover that God-given sense of purpose as to why we're here. And you could sum it up with these two words, righteousness and showing mercy, which implies kindness toward other people. And so as we have a right relationship with God and a right relationship with other people, all of a sudden, all of a sudden, uh, we, we, we discover that, that there is meaning and purpose and happiness in life. And the happiest, most well-adjusted people that you know are people that, that love God and love others and they're, they're busy serving the Lord and they enjoy life. That not, not because they're necessarily healthy, not because they're necessarily rich, not because they've, uh, you know, experienced some big promotion of some kind, but because they know that they are focused on the two main things. So he says the person that follows after righteousness and mercy, first of all, they find life. Secondly, notice they find righteousness. Well, let, let me try to explain it like this. The righteous person is a merciful person. And being merciful toward others is going to bring a blessing to us because if, if whenever we are obedient to God and good to others, we're always best to ourselves. And so there is, it's back to that old principle that we reap what we sow. 
So if we deal, if we deal justly with others, others will do the same to us. Because, you know, we can't treat people one way and expect them to treat us another way. It just doesn't work that way. There's so many times, you know, we get bent out of shape because somebody is not uh, treating us as they ought to. And, and certainly they're in the wrong for doing that. But if we'd be really honest and examine our own life and the manner in which we live and the way that we treat them and what have you, we bring it upon ourselves because others tend to treat us like we treat them. Now, sure, there are exceptions to that rule. Regardless of how nice you are to some people, they're not going to be nice to you. They're not going to do anything to help you. But as a general rule, whenever we treat others as we should, you know, after all, what does the Bible say? If a man's going to have friends, what does he do? Well, he first has to show himself friendly. And, and you know, we see people going to church and then dropping out and saying, well, you know, I decided I'm not going back to church anymore. Those people down there are so unfriendly. Well, guess what? It's not just their responsibility to cultivate a friendship. It's your responsibility also. And if you want to have friends, you've got to show yourself friendly. You just can't come in, plop down in the pew and expect everybody to break their neck trying to get to you and glad hand you and, and you know, and uh, to, to make you feel welcome. You've, you've just got to show yourself to be friendly. Now, notice the third thing here. Not only is there life and righteousness, but, but, but honor is going to come back to them. And this has to do with, with respect and with reverence. Uh, from others you, you know the thing about it is that's what most people uh, have a desire for they want to be respected they want to you know other people to honor them and let me tell you right now if you're seeking honor you don't deserve any honor you know if you're if that's what you're trying to get the point is though whenever you extend mercy to other people and you treat them the way that you ought to, the end result of that is that you're going to be honored. We think about awards being bestowed upon people. And whether it's the sports world, the entertainment world, or whatever it is, they all have their award ceremonies. And, you know, naturally it's based on whether or not you excel in that particular area. If you're a great athlete, you know, uh, you're gonna, you're gonna win the Heisman Trophy or uh, whatever it is that, that they do in Hollywood. Uh, well, you know, whenever it comes to life itself, uh, to be able to go to the grave and to, to have your peers to honor you is, a uh, is, is a great thing but if you expect honor then you've got to you've got to honor others and there's so many times we don't want to give them that kind of respect and naturally we could talk about that going back to the family and the kids not learning how to respect their elders because that's where it all starts back there and those that do not learn that they have a responsibility to respect others consequently they're going to grow up without a respect for the law or their teachers i lord i hate to think about being a school teacher nowadays wouldn't you 
we got a lot of teachers here in the church. I don't know how many we got here tonight or if we've got any or not. Can you imagine trying to teach, let's say, junior high or high school in this day and age that we live in with all of the disrespect? Well, uh, listen, if, if it's so important that we understand that, that if we do what we should in ministering to others, we won't have to seek after honor. Honor will come to us by way of them showing respect for us. Verse 22, a wise man scaleth the city of the mighty and casteth down the strength, the strength of the confidence thereof. Now, this is a military picture, and, uh, and he's simply trying to show us here the, the superiority of wisdom over brute strength. And wisdom wins every time. Maybe some of you, and I'm not all of that familiar with the story, Brother Fred, or some of, some of those of you that are historians or read a lot might remember more of it, but Homer's story about the Trojan horse, and, uh, and uh, let me see if I can get it right. The king, the king of Troy had abducted the, the wife of the king of Sparta, and uh, and, and 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 anyway, naturally, the king, the Greeks went to to retrieve or get her back and couldn't. That goes on for like ten years, and so finally they devise a plan that well, you know, in ten years we haven't been able to get in there and to and and to rescue her. So one of the, one of the Greek soldiers come up with the idea, you know, let's have the armies retreat. They'll think that we've left. And we'll build a, this wooden horse, and you know we'll we'll put some men in the wooden horse, and then after we leave, they'll come out and get the horse, take it in, and consequently, you know, they'll take in some of our men, and then we'll come back. Well, that's what they did. They built the the wooden horse hollow inside, put some of their soldiers in there. They retreated. You know, it looks like they're gone, and um, so. Uh, so the citizens of Troy then, you know, they, they decide, well, they're gone. The threat is over. And look, they left that wooden horse out there. So they go and bring the horse in through the gate. And that night, however, that night, in a prearranged uh, plan they had, the Greek army returned and... Uh, and, and the soldiers inside the horse, they they came out during the night. They opened the gate so the army would just have, you know, a free course to just march right in unopposed. And, and, and that's exactly what happened. Now, I, I mention all of that because we're talking about wisdom, finding a way uh, to win when brute strength is not enough. It just simply shows us the value of wisdom. And there's so many times, you know, we, we, we got the idea that our abilities are going to get us through. It, it might be, you, you can apply the same principle to every area of life. It might be a preacher, you know, might be thinking to himself that his speaking ability, uh, will, uh, will, be enough that you know that didn't do the job nothing will after all you know i've been to college and i've been to seminary and i've i know greek and i know hebrew and boy they'll sure listen to me and uh 
And so he goes to the pulpit totally dependent upon his own abilities. Whether it's out here in the business world or whether it's on the battlefield, it doesn't make any difference where it is. I'm telling you, wisdom is always better than brute strength. Uh, and, and when it comes to the Lord's work or whether it comes to running your household or whatever it is, we are in desperate need of wisdom. And the great thing about that is wisdom is available. It's not like, you know, it's not like this is a thing that we need most. Remember Solomon said we ought to seek it like a hidden treasure, like it's, like it's a precious jewel or silver or gold. We ought to seek after wisdom and you know, I've got to tell you, so many times I wonder if, if we're really doing that, you know, seeking to be wiser than, than what we are. But the, 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 the point is, it'd be an awful thing to be in such desperate need of wisdom and not be able to find it anywhere, wouldn't it? I'm glad James said, if any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth liberally and upbraideth not. Thank God wisdom is available to every child of God. And some of the wisest people you'll ever meet do not have college degrees. They might be wearing bib overalls. They might be, you know, farmers out there in the country somewhere. Uh, but, but some of them have greater wisdom than some of the so-called successful people in life. Well, one more verse tonight. Verse 23, Whoso keepeth his mouth and his tongue keepeth his soul from troubles. Now, if we took, if we took a vote tonight, I, I, I'll bet you everybody, uh, everybody would say that they dislike trouble, Right? I don't think anybody would say, you know, I, I kind of got a preference for trouble. You know, I, yeah, I know that old song, if you're looking for trouble, you come to the right place. If you're look, looking for trouble, look right in my face. I was born standing up and talking back. Well, I'll quit. That's, these kids think I've lost my mind. They never heard that song. There might be some people looking for trouble, but most people really don't want trouble when it gets on their doorstep. We want to avoid trouble, but listen, we turn right around and invite trouble into our lives. And we do that by the misuse of our tongue. Notice, whoso keepeth, that is, guards his mouth and tongue, he keeps his soul from troubles. In other words, if we would control what we say, if we, you know, control our tongue, which is not an easy thing to do. And in, in fact, in and of ourselves, James says we can't even do it. And we really can't. You know, uh, just, uh, you know, we try and we, you know, we know I, I've, I've just got to quit saying those crazy things. And, and why do I do that? And we make New Year resolutions that... Well, if I can't say something nice, I'm not going to say anything at all. You know, you've been there, done that probably. And, and then it, not a week goes by, but what all of a sudden you're, you're you know, you've goofed up again. And, but listen, just because man can't control our tongue doesn't mean it can't be controlled because the Spirit of God can control our tongue. And if we, listen, if we don't get it under control, it's like inviting trouble into our life. An old proverb says that speech is silver, silence is gold. 
Think about that. Speech is silver. Silence is gold. I think maybe we attach too much worth to the words that we say, and uh, we'd be a lot better off if we didn't speak. Um, have you ever heard somebody brag about speaking their mind? Well, I'll tell you one thing. I, if I'm thinking it, I'm going to say it. I'm, I'm just one of those that just, I, I just speak my mind. People don't like it, you know, but I, I tell it like it is. They, you know, they can't accuse me of not being honest and, uh, you know, and they're really proud of that. Maybe you ought to read Proverbs 29, verse 11. Somebody tell me what that says. Somebody knows, I bet you. Nobody? Yeah, you, you know, you just don't know you know. The fool uttereth all his mind. Let me tell you something. Whenever, whenever, whenever we open our mouth, we identify what's going on in our heart. The fool uttereth all of his mind. Just because you're thinking it doesn't mean you ought to say it. Just be, listen, let me say something else. Just because you think they need to hear it doesn't mean that you need to say it. Uh, and whenever we just, you know, blurt something out and, uh, and all of a sudden uh, we, we invite trouble into our life. If you want to reduce the level of trouble in your life and enjoy more peace, then, then get a grip on, uh, on the words that you speak because, you know, we, we started out tonight talking about contention in the home, right? And, you know, here's a husband and a wife arguing with one another. And, and, and really, if you look back on some of the arguments you've had, a year later, you'll be laughing at things that you were fighting about before. Am I right? I mean, you know, some things happen just make you furious. And so a fight ensues. And before you know it, you're saying things that, you know, that you really shouldn't say or you normally wouldn't say. And so you've got all of this contention in the home. I got to tell this. Last night, I three or four times I asked Bev, I said, are you sure you don't want a cup of coffee? You know, it was, I don't know, 8 o'clock, something like that. And a lot of times in the evening, she would drink a cup of coffee. And... Um, and of course, after noon, she never drinks anything but decaf. She she if she drinks anything but decaf, tea, coffee, whatever. Boy, she's a mess up that night. And so she finally she said, uh, she said, yeah, I'll take a cup of coffee. So I went there and I made her a cup of coffee. And for the life of me, I've never done this before. I just opened the cabinet, got one of those little cups out, plopped it in the Keurig, made a cup of coffee. I got up this morning. She said, you owe me. What? She said, I just about, she, I didn't slept all night. I just about come in there. And uh, now she was civil about it. I, I don't know how, but, uh, uh, but, but she really was. But I, <laughs> she wasn't happy about it, but she didn't hit me. <laughs> but I imagine, I'm hoping, I'm praying. <laughs> I'm praying that a few months down the road that she and I will be laughing about this. 
She's not laughing right now, I'm telling you. Uh, but, but you know, you, you know what I'm saying, surely. Uh, but I won't make that mistake again. Now, now the point is, there's so many times we get in one of those little, starts out one of those little petty arguments over something. Uh, <laughs> although, dear, if you're listening, I'm not calling that petty. But, uh, and after a while, you know, then you'll say, well, you, you, you know, you're just like your mother. And then, boy, she'll come back. We're well, going to drag my mother in this, huh? And, man, all of a sudden, I mean, well, you're ready to go on the housetop or the wilderness, one of the two. I'm leaving Dodge. I'm getting out of here, you know. So we could save ourselves a lot of heartache, a lot of trouble. If we just ask God to help us to bridle our tongue. Amen. Thank you for being here tonight and putting up with my silliness. And I hope something has been said that will be a blessing and a help to you. All right. Uh, pray for Brother Nolan. He's, I don't know if he's come down with a cold or allergies or what, but don't forget to remember him in prayer. Any last word before we leave? Okay, let's all stand together. And uh, Brother Willie, if you would please tonight lead us in prayer, sir. Our loving Father, Lord, thank you so much for your word tonight, Lord. We thank you, Lord, how it quickens our spirit, Lord. Lord, it brings us closer to you. Father, thank you for that. And we thank you tonight that Jesus is our righteousness. Yes. And Lord, that we just simply follow him, Lord, that he will be our righteousness, Lord, and we're in right standing with you because of him, Lord. Mm-hmm. 